Sometimes you just need a little spiritual guidance to help get your life back together. It can be compared to mosaic art. Many little pieces that come together to form something beautiful. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Your host is mosaic shaman, Christy Ellen. Christy and her guests are here to ensure that your life is just as you deserve it to be. Happy. Now, here's your host, Christy Ellen. Welcome to the garden. I'm so glad you're choosing to join us today. It is always a choice. Life is always that, right? And I'm so glad you're taking the time to be here in the garden with us today as we change our stories and change our lives. So when you change your story, you will change your life. You can follow the Healing Gardens on Facebook at Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman, All Things Possible, the Mosaic Healing Gardens. You can also follow me on YouTube um, with Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman, and you can find me at soulhealerspath.com. So right now we're going to share a conversation in the garden, and today we're sharing a conversation about life after addiction. We will open this space up today, as we always do, with a schematic healing prayer. So as I've asked before, if you're driving a car, you know, you can wait and go back and do this later. You can go into the Empowerment Station. Welcome to Mosaic Garden, and we listen to this show anytime you want. On MP3, iTunes, it's in the archives. Um, You can also go to soulhealerspath.com and listen to the show there as well. So I want you to put your feet on the ground when you're in a position to do that. And it's important that we do that because we're connecting to the earth. and We're connecting to the ground. We're connecting to our centeredness. And we're taking this moment in the day to slow down. In this moment, we are in the right place at the right time, having the most perfect experience together. So taking your breath, breathing in to the center of your being, Breathing into your belly. On the breath, the belly is soft. On the exhale, the air leaves the body. On the inhale, the belly is soft. I know life gets really busy, and it's hard sometimes just to take the time to be connected. In this sacred space, we connect to all things possible. Breathing into your belly. Exhaling any trapped emotions that are holding you back from just being present for this moment. We're going to spend an hour in the garden together today having an incredible experience of changing the stories and changing your life. And as you drop into the center place, I want you to go your garden, that place that you feel safe and connected, that place in your life where you have been before, And you know you are one with your higher source, one with the creator, one with that divine love, that divine love that makes you the divine being you are. Connecting to that place, sitting there with the divinity of who you truly, truly are, knowing in this moment that all things are possible and that all things are perfect. In this moment, you're safe. Put your hands on your heart. We ask the energies of love to join us as we take this walk through the garden today, as we plant a seed of inspiration, as we grow together in this garden, allowing ourselves to be opened 
to all things being possible when we're willing to walk through our fears, letting go of what doesn't work, in order to be open to what does. And today we're going to talk about addictions because that's one of those things that stop us from having all things possible. And asking the guardian to be with us as we address these things today. Because on this lively planet where we work and we live and we function, we deal with addictions every day, either in our own life or with someone we love. So today we're going to learn about a, a different way to see things, to change the story. We have experiences in life, and then we create ex- stories about those experiences. When you get yourself in a place that you don't want to be, what do you do? How many times must you repeat the pattern before you can let them go? Seems sometimes those patterns just keep coming up and coming up until you're willing to let go. And spirit shows up and gets your attention to change the way you're seeing things so you can create the life you want. Addiction is doing something that is contrary to the fullest potential of your true essence. And it keeps you stuck in a pattern of replaying what you do not want. Holding you to a story of this is how it is, has to be this way, it always is going to be this way, and nothing ever changes. In order for change to happen, you have to change that story. That story is an lie and illusion that is leading you to being stuck in a place that will not bring you all things possible. It will not bring you to living an extraordinary, exceptional, inspiring life. You have to believe that there's something bigger than you that at this moment has a plan and a purpose for you. A spiritual connection to your inner God source that divinely loves you. I believe that. I know it's true. And I want you to know it's true. And just for this next hour, let's live in that energy of that being true. The divine understanding that you are a spiritual being with the potential to create miracles in your life. Miracles in your life. That's what we do when we have our prayer and our meditation. And when we connect to that meditation, you can also go to soulhealerspath.com. I have other meditations there. I have some free schematic energy meditations that will keep you um, keeping the bands of protection around you, keep you safe. And I also have some meditations for sale there. It's a seven-day meditation. Now, if you email me and say that you've been listening to the show, I'm going to give you 50% off of that seven-day meditation that will change your life because it will change the story that you're telling yourself about your life, and it will change your life. And so if you walk together with me in the garden, we'll create inspiring life. There is that divine understanding that you are a special, spiritual, special being with the potential to create miracles in your life. That is the truth. That is the divine understanding of your inner God source that divinely loves you. That all things are possible when you're willing to take the action steps to walk through your fears, letting go of what doesn't work in order to have what does. We talk about this every week because letting go of what's not working will create what you want. And part of that hanging on is the misunderstanding that you are separate from your God source, separate from that ability to create all things possible in your life. You need to understand and know that there is a purpose, because I know there's a purpose on this earth, a purpose for your being here that is your purpose alone. If you trust in it, it will drive you and drive your life into the all things being possible. When you trust 
that higher source and your higher intuition to know where you're going to go and what you're going to do with your life. That's what we do here. That's why we come to the garden. We plant these seeds to grow, these seeds of all possibilities, the seeds that burst through the ground and create that divine purpose for why you are here. Your turn, your life, your purpose, your higher source is that divine love that lives inside of each of you, that divine love that makes things, all things possible, changing your story. When doubt arises, and it will, and discouragement shows up because we live in a world, and in this world we're having experiences, right? And sometimes those experiences appear to be overwhelming. They appear to have discouragement, and they seem to come from the outside forces to tell us what we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to be, and that you don't really matter, and that you're all alone. What you've got to understand is those are lies. Oftentimes it's easy just to hide, just to check out, and succumb to the addictions of the world. The addictions out there, they're going to keep you from living your purpose. That's what they do. They keep you from living your purpose. They, they give you that overwhelming feeling that tells you you're not worth it and your life and you're, is not worth it and that you're not loved and that you're alone. This is a lie. Just because the brain thinks a thought does not make it real. And some of those lies have been fed over lifetimes of messages that have been given to you that now you get the opportunity to change. You get the opportunity to let them go. Alcohol abuse is, is one of those addictions, but there are other addictions. There are addictions that keep you from being who you divinely came here to be. And those addictions can be food addictions. They can be addictions to love. There are so many different kinds of addiction that will distract you from that holy God source that you are. So when I'm working with clients, I'm helping you create a new foundation because the foundation has been taken out of most of our lives. Something happens along the way that takes our foundation. And actually, it's a good time to be excited and celebrate that because when the old foundation that wasn't working crumbles, because it, I, I remember a scripture saying that don't build your house upon a sand or the winds and rains will come down and wash it away. And some of us have built our houses upon sands. And those sands are now crumbling apart and our house needs to be rebuilt. And that house, to, to build a house, you need to have the four keystone principles. The four keystone principles that I talk about in my book. The four keystone principles that I talk about in creating an amazing life. The four, four keystone principles are, first of all, awareness. You've got to be aware that what's going on isn't working. When you have that awareness and you're 100% honest with yourself and saying, this isn't where I want to be, but this is where I do want to be, because those vibrations will be different. If you see your divine purpose in life and yet you're not living at that vibration, there's chaos in your life. So what you have to do is one of two things. You have to either bring what you, your purpose and what you're divinely blessed to do down to the level of your addiction, which is not working very well because we see it all over the place right now. You can do that. That's a choice. See how well that's working in your life now. Or you can move your vibration up to that level of your highest purpose by being aware of what's not working and being willing to let it go and take the steps to do something different. So the first keystone principle is awareness. The second one is education. You go out, you find out who's doing what you want to do. You see what's being done different. 
You look at those people that are doing what you want to do in your life. Those are living, inspiring lives. Um, a while ago, they said it was 10% of the population. I do believe that I heard recently it's up to 30, and I hope so, because if that changes, we all change and the world shifts. So you look at the people who are doing what you want to do, and you ask them what they're doing. What are they doing different than you're doing? When do they get up? What do they eat? And what action steps are they taking to get there? And then when you see that, you start taking the fourth, the third keystone, the third keystone, which is action, the third keystone. So you've got awareness, you've got education, now it's action. Action, because of the awareness and education, you can take the action to get off the couch, to stop watching things that are distracting you from what's going to move you forward for changing the friends that you're out. Stop taking the everyday patterns of when you feel depressed. Maybe go outside and step on the earth instead. Go for a walk. Call someone. Talk to someone. Do some writing. Put music on. There's so many things you can do different than to jump into the addiction that's there, the addiction to zone out, because that's what it is. It's, it's the addiction to not be present. And then the fourth keystone is support, creating a support group around you. Having that group there to help you when you hit that wall, because we're going to hit walls in life. It's, it's ridiculous to think that you're going to go through life and not have any challenges. Life is full of challenges. It's how you take those challenges and those experiences and what stories you're creating around them that make all things possible in your life. It's being willing to say, I'm going to look different at this. This is not the pattern I'm going to take in the past. Those four keystone, awareness, education, Action and support will build a foundation that will help you move forward. And that's what I do with my clients at soulhealerspath.com. That's what I do here on the radio. And why do I get here every day? Why do I move up every day and help people, thousands of people? I'm on the radio. I'm on the television. I have media. I've created a production company called Healing Art Productions where we're interviewing people that are taking healing art, and they've gone through their challenges, and they've turned it around. And why do I do that? Because I want you to remember there's hope. There is hope in this world. There is love in this world. There are people doing what you want to be doing. There is too much fear going on right now on this planet. Too much fear. And I want to change that because there is a possibility. All things are possible to change the way you change your story, you change your life. And when you change that life, you get to wake up every morning being happy to be alive, jumping out of bed excited joyous that you get to move forward. It's an amazing place to be, and all things are possible in that place. So today we're going to be talking about alcohol abuse and addiction, and we're going to be talking to my guest as soon as we come back from the break, Mark Trelitter, and I hope I say that right, and Mark, if not, I apologize, and you can correct me on that. This He has written a book called my dad is an alcoholic, what about me? And we're going to talk about how Mark has been personally touched by alcoholism in his family and how he has taken that message and written this book and his family has addressed how to get past it and how to help the next generation because that's what we do here. How do we get past it? What do we take we've learned? And where do we go from there? So we're going to take a break, and as soon as we come back, we're going to talk with my guest Mark Traveler, so stay tuned and let's learn more about how we can have all things possible in our life and change the story around addiction. Thank you.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's time to live an inspired life. Join Christy Allen, the Mosaic Shaman, as she enhances the quality of your life. Healing with art is Christy's focus. At SoulHealerPath.com, if you follow the steps and use the skill that Christy Ellen teaches in Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching, doing your part and taking 100% of the responsibility for your life, changing your life story, then in one year's time, you could be living the inspired life of your dreams. Soul Healer's Path Life Coaching offers four life coaching packages, starting with the Serpent Path, which is all about awareness and letting go of what you do not want to have and embracing what you do. Go to Soul Healer's Path and sign up for a one-month session of Clearing the Light Body. So come and walk the medicine wheel with Christy Ellen. Visit soulhealerpath.com or call 435-260-9598 for a special newcomer's one-month coaching package for just $300. Christy Ellen is an intuitive healer and master creator. Let her guide you to living the life to which you were born to live and go from ordinary to extraordinary. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with Christy Ellen. To connect with the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you may send an email to healingart.kp at gmail.com. Now, back to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Welcome to the gardens today where we are talking about addictions and overcoming those things that challenge us to keep us stuck and get us out of our story so we can change the story. My guest today is Mark Treitler. And Mark and I were talking just a little bit through the break, and I asked if I pronounced his name right, and he said he spells it a little bit different. He'll spell that for us because he's a little different. So great. So so am I. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good effort on Tritler. Good enough. Tritler. Okay. Great. Wonderful. So, um, Mark, you grew up in a house where their alcoholism was present. Is that correct? Well, it wasn't necessarily in my house, but it was in the uh, extended family, aunts and uncles, grandparents. Um, uh, strangely enough, it sort of avoided my house, um, but all around our family uh, genetic tree, uh, it was full of uh, alcoholic and addiction uh, fruits, as you would say. That's, uh, that's interesting because it, it jumped a generation in my family as well. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My, gra- my father was not, but he was a dry drunk, which meant he had behaviors of uh, being an alcoholic. Yeah, that can happen, and it's important to, for your listeners and everybody to recognize that just because it skips a generation or two, it's still still hidden there in your genes and uh, something you need to look out for, which is why we wrote our book. And um, tell me a little bit about this book that you wrote. Well, it's um, written by my daughter and I. We actually each write half of the chapters, and um, it's made for uh, pre-teens and teens originally to teach them what they need to know about having alcoholism or addiction in their genes. And um, it's, uh, it's something that's developed in a useful tool for, for adults and definitely for children that don't have it in their genes. But the original, the original concept was to teach children like mine what they need to know um, 
you know, how they're a little bit different genetically than, than some of their classmates. Let's talk about the genetics of that for a moment, too, because I was talking about um, succumbing to addiction, but and we found lately in the last um, century that we have these addictive genes that are inside of some of us that make it um, more than just a social uh, addiction. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. The, um, they definitely found a genetic link, and uh, as our science develops, more rapidly in the future, I'm sure they'll be able to, to pare it down to a specific chromosome, but they have identified something in the DNA that, that is a link. And, you know, it's, it's you know, something people have known for generations or hundreds of years where, where Grandpa was an alcoholic and on the farm and then Dad was an alcoholic and you knew the son was going to be an alcoholic. It's just the science has caught up with what we already know. And, you know, the, the, the statistics can be a little bit daunting, um, if you're if you're not careful and you don't understand them, because um, children with the addiction gene can be you know, five to twenty times more likely than their peers to develop alcoholism or addiction, um, and that's you can definitely avoid it, and it's what we're trying to do in the book. But um, just the the likelihood is up to you know five hundred percent more likely with it in your genes that you're going to develop alcoholism. Yes. Yeah, so in, in my family. Um there are four of us. Two of us ha- uh, had had addictions. I didn't actually wasn't one of those, but the my brother and my sister, and then my other sister and I aren't affected by that. So how does that work? Uh, well, first of all, good. So I'm glad you you, you don't. Um, you know the the studies show that it still might be in your genes. Mm-hmm. You just have to you haven't turned it on, and that you know for some people that that could be you know, three years drinking in college, and for others we've seen it's. Uh, Two months on, on pain pills prescribed by a doctor. So it's um, scientists think it's it's in your genes. Actually, you just haven't um, you've been able to avoid it, and you haven't abused alcohol or drugs to the point where it's actually turned that switch on, which you can't turn back. But um, you know, it's, it's generally in the DNA from for the children and the grandchildren um, until you know, at some future generation they take it out. Well. Um, I've always attributed my um, lack of being uh, uh, having that um, addiction to the fact that I grew up in a religious background that I didn't drink. So, and then I seemed to be dating a lot of men um, when I became single that were had gone through the AA program, so I didn't drink. <laughs> so well, that's I think that's, uh, knowing what I know about genetics of the disease, I think it's a very good thing. Yeah. You know, obviously, this is a disease, and the good news is it's a disease you can absolutely avoid. You know, there's billions of people in this, in this world that never drink, so if you never drink, you're never going to become an alcoholic, no matter what's in your, in your genes. Um, but those of us that have it in our genes, just a few years of, of normal fraternity drinking, in my case, uh, turned it on. And I think you're, you're an example of what can be done, even if it's in your genetic history. So what you're saying is if I started um, drinking on a regular basis, I could actually become an alcoholic myself. Absolutely. And I've, mm-hmm. I've seen it way too many times. And I've seen people start in their uh, late 30s, early 40s, um, even later than that, where they uh, either didn't drink or, or use drugs or, you know, take nowadays pain pills are probably the, the biggest problem. Um, it could absolutely be turned on. You know, I... It, the, uh, our, our current president is like him or hate him. He's he's never had a drink because he saw his brother die of alcoholism. Um, so it's the, the, there are family members that definitely go a different direction. 
Yeah, I, I know that my dad was very angry at his dad being a drunk and uh, alcoholic. He was abusive alcoholic. So he, um, you know, he, he'd get really angry if we even talked about alcohol or, or he'd see other family members doing it. So I think that was part of the help. But his anger issues were hard to deal with because he had behaviors that were a tendency to being in rage all the time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and certainly, um, yeah, you know, alcohol itself won't cause anger, but it'll certainly make it worse and, and make it you know, uncontrollable. And you see you know, the statistics when you talk to, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are doctors in emergency rooms and the, the amount of um, spousal abuse or fights or, or other injuries caused by alcohol is, you know, that's, that's part of the problem. It brings out the anger in people. So, but it doesn't cause the anger. Um, you know, there's no evidence that it directly causes anger. It certainly causes mood swings um, because the, the alcoholic doesn't develop coping skills. Uh, and so they're, uh, no, while a normal person might uh, be able to handle, you know, some criticism by a boss at work or criticism by a spouse, the, the alcoholic has, you know, hasn't developed any coping skills since they started drinking. So that, that, that could lead to anger, um, the, lack of, the lack of coping skills and, and the mood swings that you definitely see in alcoholics. So I've, I've had this question on, on my mind since I knew we were having this interview because what I've kind of been seeing when um, I've dated people going through AA sure. is there's been a lot of, of um, they, they've, they've stopped drinking. They no longer drink, but their behavior we just talked about is still there. I still see the behavior of um, no follow-through, no commitment, anger, blame, that they had when they were alcoholics. They've just taken the drinking out of that. So how, how does a person change that? You know, in, uh, and I'm not a spokesperson for AA, by the way. But oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry I brought that up. I know I'm not supposed to talk about AA. But I, no, no. <laughs> you can. I'm fine talking about it. I, it's, I just, I'm not, you know, this entire project's for charity, but it's going to sound like I'm a spokesperson for AA because, you know, people in AA say that stopping the drinking is the easy part. Um, I mean, you it, it's hard to do, but it's simple. You just stop drinking, right? Um, uh-huh. But then how, how does someone that has had no coping skills um, other than the bottle learn how to deal with life, um, you know, since they, if they've been drinking or using drugs since the, the age of 14? How do they learn to deal with happiness or joy or stress or, or resentments or confrontation when their only ability, their only coping mechanism was, was the drug or the drink? So, yes, without working on... Um, Working on things through, like the twelve steps, is, is something that deals with that, or or through um, uh, or other organizations or programs. You're right; they're just they're just taking away the drinking, and then those problems, the personality problems, uh, because of and um, that they were masking, still exist. Well, and I also heard um, a couple of um, declarations about I am no longer an alcoholic, but I'm a workaholic. And I thought, you know, there was somebody just recently that came up and was having a conversation where I was at and saying, you know, I'm a workaholic. Like, that was a badge of courage to wear. And I think that that tears relationships down just as much as alcoholism. Yeah, and I'm glad my wife's not on this program because she would say the the same about me. Um, But, no, no, it's true. There's, you know, some people definitely just misplace their addiction into another addiction, whether it's work or um, you know, working out, although certainly that's better than drinking yourself to death, or, or gambling. Um, you know, I've seen, I, I have a, a very close friend of mine that, that went from food addiction uh, until her early 30s, and then she um, 
beat that, and now she's now she's an alcoholic. So taking the taking the addiction from one um, area to another isn't you know can almost be as dangerous. You're right. Yeah, I can I can relate to that because um, I was a I was working I worked out all I mean I I was an exercise addict, so I would not eat anything if I hadn't run five miles. It, it was an obsession an obsession in my mind. So how do we deal with the obsessions that go on in the brain? Well, um, you know, they're looking at them and, and dealing with them through programs such as AA is really the only way to do it, These, uh, whether it's through a counselor or a church or through books or programs like yours. It's actually taking a deep dive um, into what affects you, you know, into what your, what your defects are. Um, and in the AA program, the first step is stopping the drinking, and then, you know, the 12 steps, um, which are available for almost every addiction in the world. Um, I, heard, I heard one the other day, there's a, a codependent anonymous, and they go through steps. So my experience has been once you stop the drinking, then you can actually dig in and analyze um, what your defects are, maybe where they stem from is, um, you know, in your childhood, and then, you know, working through therapy or, or church or AA or, or, or guidance or, or, you know, meditation. But you really got to gotta take away the dangerous behavior that's masking the ability to, to have that deep dive. Yeah, I, you know, it sounds to me like when you stop the drinking, the work begins. And um, to, to release the trapped emotions that are, are being held and have been held down since you, if you started drinking at 14, 15 years old, there's a lot of trapped emotions that are being masked over and, he- and held down. I, I, I dealt with a child who has an addiction to um, drugs. So I've, I've, been, see, I may, I've been affected by it in so many ways that I looked into it and started to dive into it. I wanted to know more about what was going on. And I went to a course that talked about the brain and how the development of the back part of the brain in your, when, you're in, when you're a baby is all about me and what I need. And the middle part of your brain is developed in your teenage years, which is also still about getting my own needs met. And then the first part of the, the front part of the brain, the cognitive part, doesn't develop until maturity happens. It's not even an age. It's a maturity that you now you're responsible for your, your, another person, yourself, and you're responsible as a, and a human in, in this existence in life. And you know that there's consequences for actions. So in the middle part of the brain, they were saying when you're a teenager, and if you get into an addiction as a teenager, you, you don't have that cognitive part that if I do this, this will happen. There, so I remember going to court and listening to the judge say, if you go and you do this and you get caught with pot again, you're going to prison. And I couldn't understand why th- this person couldn't figure that out. But, it, but there was no consequence association. Yeah, I, think that's, uh, I think that's great analysis. And it does, you know, it, it, a lot of it is stuff we can't control and, you know, hidden in our brain. And, you know, I, I think... I think that person that you probably saw, not only do they ignore the consequences, but the, the little addiction voice in your head once you are addicted is so strong, you, you really just focus on that. And what happens the next morning or the next day, or um, if you're going to lose your kids, that, that all becomes secondary. And you, I, you, I saw that in my own behavior, and you can see that in hundreds of thousands of stories across this country. Who, who would rationally um, you know, do something to lose their job, lose their kids, lose their wife, lose their home, lose their car, and then lose their freedom. Who, who would ever make that, those decisions rationally? It's, it, you know, it, it, you're right, it's hidden in the brain, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to reverse. So what, what was it like? I mean, what was the brain telling you about that? 
Um, you know, fortunately, I didn't have a lot of those uh, okay. results, but it's, it's similar. There, you know, almost every morning, um, once I actually became fully addicted to alcohol, every, every morning I would say, this is it. I'm not drinking again. I got, I got a great wife, children. I got, have, uh, I'm sick of being hungover. And then in the morning, you would believe it. Uh, we alcoholics and addicts believe it. Definitely not drinking again. That's it. I'm starting a new life. And then by about 4 or 5 o'clock, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to sleep without one beer. But let me just have one. Um, and then once the first one's in you, that's really the sign of the alcoholic. Once you, once you introduce that drug or um, drink into your system, then, then all your thoughts are out the window. So it would turn from the morning of I'm not going to drink again, I'm done, I have a plan, to one beer uh, at six, 5 or 6 p.m., and then, then you're off to the races. And that's the cycle that um, alcoholics and, and addicts see, regardless of what social class you're in, what, you know, what career you are, what part of the world you are. That's, that, that's what makes the... Um, addiction very, you know, very common throughout our society. So, how did you emotionally feel when you gave into that addiction? Um, <laughs> the next mm-hmm. morning, you feel very bad. Once you start on the drugs or alcohol, then you forget about it because that 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 part of the brain takes over, and uh, you forget those promises you made. And you know, scientifically, drugs and alcohol produce, uh, you know. Uh, endorphins and, and things that rush through your brain and you forget about it and then the next morning you feel like crap you don't you know there's uh, whether it's you got arrested for DUI or you know passed out in the hallway or just uh, broke your promise to yourself or your your loved ones you, the re- regret is in the morning every alcoholic or addict has that um, and then and then there's it's like you're a different person at night and it, it, it beats that person in the morning that that you know, promised uh, everybody in the world you wouldn't drink again. So what did you do to change that? Um, Well, fortunately, I uh, was uh, motivated by something my daughter said to me um, to go into rehab. And, uh, you know, that's after 15 years of promising myself I wouldn't drink again, then I needed help. And that, you know, a phrase that she said to me uh, struck me so deep that I, I went to rehab. And, um, you know, that's really, for, for someone with a drug or alcohol addiction, you know, trying, to, trying to beat it on your own is almost impossible. No, but, you know, the, the stories of people that actually do it and come out happy are, you know, one out of 5,000, if that. Um, so I went to a professional rehab and, and started in the recovery program and AA and everything that entails. And um, thankfully, because one of the most curious things about this disease is you, you can't really eat it on your own, and that's hard for, that's hard for people to understand. And it's part of the reason that people don't, you know, don't get better. So this isn't something, like, I'm getting um, cl- very clear, and I, I've, seen this, I've seen this many, many times as well, that there are a lot of things in life that you really can't do alone. And I think if we were supposed to go through life alone, we'd be on our own little planet having our own little experience <laughs> with that other, other people in there. So when you were looking for people to help you through this program, what kind of people did you turn to? Uh, well, fortunately, I went. Uh, I just I turned to the professionals because nothing else else works. Um, you know, before that, I did see counselors. Uh, you know, my wife uh, mentioned to a, a counselor that I drank too much, so I saw a couple counselors here and there. I went to some doctors to try to get some anxiety, help with the anxiety. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of self help books and and, and uh, philosophical books, but. You know, that's, that's still all in the context of trying to help myself, trying to cure myself. So when, um, you know, when I 
finally decided that I couldn't do it alone. I, I gave up, and then I went to a professional alcohol and drug rehabilitation center. Um, and, and those along with AA or those other type of professional programs are really the only things that, that our society has seen to be very successful. And so did you change your friends and the people you're hanging out with? I mean, you obviously didn't change your family because they were wanting you to, to support you into being something different. You know, certainly I... Um, I ended up changing a few friends, not many though. Most most of my coworkers and friends and, and relatives are, um, you know, those were true friends, and, I, and I'm still close with those people. The you know the friends that I might only have a relationship at a bar with, um, yeah, I, I had to give those those people up. But it wasn't, you know, if you look at my the people in my life now versus ten years ago, it wasn't a dramatic difference. But certainly, some people, um, you know, if your entire social group is well, they focuses around drugs and alcohol, then, then you might have to change those things. But the, the first step, step is getting yourself better, um, getting yourself in a position where you can be around anybody and not be tempted to drink, and then you can make those decisions along with your sponsor or counselor uh, or other people uh, with years of sobriety. So you, you weren't stumbling home, you weren't sleeping in an alley, you weren't drinking out of a brown bag, I'm guessing. Uh, no, I, and my, my bottom was fairly high compared to a lot of people, but you yeah. know, I wasn't stumbling home, but, uh, you know, when my wife and kids went to sleep, there was many, many nights where I was stumbling. I uh, stumbled to bed. <laughs> but stumbled, you didn't stumbled to bed. That. Yeah, so, um, you, it sounds like you had a pretty stable functioning life around you, and so you would be called a functioning alcoholic, is that true? Which is a, not only, it's not always a good thing. Oh, I was definitely, I'm probably the picture of a functioning alcoholic. You know, the career still going well, uh, beautiful wife, great kids, great house, great cars, companies growing. But um, the problem with that is that that makes it really easy for your mind to convince yourself that you're not an alcoholic. Because, you, you know, everybody knows whether you're, um, you know, whether you're a minimum wage job or a great job or unemployed or, or living with your parents, everybody knows someone lower on the scale than them uh, on, on the alcoholic or drug scale. There's always some, someone doing worse, whether it's the, the homeless person um, or, you know, one of your cousins that's uh, unemployed or hooked on heroin. Um, it just makes it very easy for your mind to tell you you're fine. You're fine. you got a great job. So functioning alcoholic, it's, you know, in my experience, it's, it's, it's a negative um, to one's getting treatment. So the comparison is, is I'm not so bad and I can continue to do this because I can bring a paycheck home. And I'm wondering how many people out there are, are living in that disillusionment that um, just because I actually haven't lost my house and I'm not living on the street and I'm, I'm not coming out of a brown bag and doing all that kind of stuff. The definition of alcoholism was totally different um, in my home because – my my aunt, we would go to Disneyland, and she would drink coffee out of a cup. She was drinking bourbon all day long, and everyone denied that she was an alcoholic because yeah. she didn't go on these rampages, and she she you know she seemed to be able to handle her liquor. That word, oh, they seemed to handle their liquor really well. She actually died of cirrhosis of the liver and alcoholism took her okay. life. Yeah, I was going to ask how long did that last because you you, know, you you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your liver. So how do you know? Pancreas. Yeah. How do you know when you cross that line? You know, it's a very good question. Uh, what I tell people is uh, two things. One is when you can't stop drinking when you start. And when I say drinking, it's the same as drugs. So um, when you can't stop drinking when you start. So if you go out or you have a, you know, you go to someone's house for a dinner party and everybody has two glasses of wine and it's, say, 7.30 p.m., 
you know, my wife or normal people could stop drinking then. There's, you know, during my uh, alcoholism, there's no chance I would have stopped at two beers or two glasses of wine. There's just none. Uh, once it gets in your system, that, that part of your brain takes over and, and you need to stop drinking. And then, uh, you know, you can also look at yourself or for a loved one, does the need to get alcohol or drugs uh, supersede anything else? For example, do you, if you have children, do you find yourself um, taking them out to places that have beer? You know, have you ever noticed that Chuck E. Cheese or Dave & Buster's or even SeaWorld have a lot of alcohol? Um, so do you, you plan your social engagements around places that have alcohol or, or if you need to get your pills? Um, and it's when you... When you start planning your your life, or you see your husband or uh, wife planning their life around who's going to have alcohol, what restaurants are going to have alcohol, where am I going to get that drink, you, you probably have crossed that line. Yeah, I know when I um, got into a relationship with someone who doesn't drink, it changed the way I, I was doing things. When we go to concerts, you know, because concerts, alcohol's everywhere. you got those mm-hmm. little wristbands all over I the place. And I, I thought, well, I'm not going to have a drink at a concert. Okay. Um, I didn't realize how much I was going into the social environment of drinking. And I, I just drink when I was having a social event, but there was a lot of social events associated with alcohol. Well, let's be clear. When alcoholics, when we go to concerts, we make sure there's alcohol. Because certain concerts there's not, like at college campuses. So the, the true alcoholics actually know that in advance. And, you know, for some concerts I would go to where there wasn't alcohol, my friends and I that had problems would actually sneak in alcohol. So if you if you're to that point where you're making sure where when you go somewhere at night you have alcohol either brought in or it's being served there, that's the sign of a problem. Hmm. So tell me about this um, this addiction gene. It's what? Um, you know the, again they've identified it down to the uh, uh, GABA inhibitor or the, the specific GABA uh, amino acid, and that's. Um, I'm a businessman, not a scientist, so that's mm-hmm. as much as I can talk about it. But yeah, it, it, certain, it certainly stays in in, in your genes, and um, can you, it's from generation to generation. Can you test to find out if you have it or not? They've gotten to the point just recently where they have been able. Uh, they think they've been able to test when it's in, in that GABA um, uh, receptor in, in in those in those DNA cells. So. The most recent within the last couple of years is that they believe they can test for it. You know, it's, it's very early in the, in the science, so they're not 100% sure. I'm sure if we have this conversation in five years, they will be. Um, so they have been able to test and identify it recently. You know, the, doing something about it is a whole other story. Uh, but, yes, they, have, they believe they've been able to, to identify it. Okay. So I, I and, and others may out there may relate to this, um, this new this new epidemic seems to be coming, and my word is the pot. <laughs> and we won't get into too much controversial about that. We don't have enough time to go into the whole thing. But I want to hit on that a little bit because I have um, people in my life who no longer drink, and now they smoke pot. Yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be going sober. So uh, I'm happy to say uh, yeah. al- alcoholics or, or people that are addicts that transfer from one drug to another, that's not getting sober, um, uh, whether or not. It's legal in a state or easy, illegal, yes. Go, going from, um, e- even going from alcohol to, you know, popping Xanax all day. Or yeah. Oxycontin to heroin to, to alcohol to marijuana. That's not getting sober. That's just transferring the addiction from one substance to another. And you see it all the time. So it's, it's a very good question, but it is not doing it. It's not helping at all. And you still go down the, 
Um, you still go down the dangerous line of uh, uh, the progressive disease of addiction. Yeah, I, I we'll see what that's going to bring into a society. I know I went to get a coffee in Colorado when it became legal, and the kid behind the counter couldn't function to get me my coffee. I had to actually help him. <laughs> well, you know, I can't speak for all of society, yeah. but I can definitely speak for people in recovery or people with drugs, uh, with addiction or alcoholism in their genes, and that's a no-no. So uh, mm-hmm. it just as... Uh, you know, buying uh, uh, heroin on the street or, or mm-hmm. a bottle of uh, tequila or a joint from a dispensary in uh, Denver, Colorado, all of those are just uh, triggers uh, to your addiction. Yeah. There's, and no, it, no good, there's no good drug or alcohol. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying whether marijuana is good or not because I'm not in a position to do that, but I do know that my son has addiction to it, and I deal with that on a personal basis, and I don't like it. So well, I, yeah. I'm happy to say it's bad for Good. for kids and adults with, uh, with well, yes. addiction and alcohol. Clearly, it's bad for them, and it's 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 it certainly that's one of the problems with legalizing drugs and alcohol is for those uh, those people that are um, sensitive to, to drug you know to addiction. Good. I'm glad you're speaking out on that. So um, we've been talking about all the things that lead up and the things to look for. Um, Let's talk about how that changes. How do we go about changing? Um, can you change an addiction someone else has? Um, if, you're, if you're a member of a family and you don't have the addiction, but the person you love does, what, what is your role? How do you handle that? Can someone make someone change? It's a great question, and it's very, very difficult. And um, there, I'll tell you the, the, the good news, but the bad news is it's very difficult with words or actions to get your loved one to change. Because one, alcoholics and addicts are great liars. Um, uh, you know, I, I could hide alcohol anytime I wanted almost from anybody, and, and people that use drugs uh, usually can do the same. Um, and then second, you just, you know, for married people out there or uh, people with parents, when, when parents or, or loved ones or, or your spouse tells you something to do, you usually think it's nagging. And then yes. it usually pushes that person away. So my wife, you know, my wife had no chance of getting me sober, as much as she recognized it on certain occasions. Um, but the good news is that there is a formula that that, that works, and uh, I've participated this my, in, in this myself recently. Uh, and the formula is, um, you know, and you see it on TV. It's called an intervention. It's, it's making that person face um, all their loved ones and family members, and. and you know, creating that, uh, creating that choice. You either give up your loved ones and family members or, or you go in for treatment. So just, just talking to the individuals, nagging them, trying to count alcohol, how many beers they have at night, trying to uh, make sure they don't drive drunk. By you driving drunk, none, you know, the, the success rate of, of all of those great efforts, uh, it's, it's very, very low. So your family, how, how were they able to support you and your change? Um, oh, it's, they've been great. First of all, if, you know, for, if you've seen the book, having my daughter co-write a book with me and, and my wife and son did, the, uh, did all the artwork. So they're, you know, we're, we're to the extreme of uh, my family supporting me. We're, you know, we're doing a charitable book project together. Um, but they, even before that, they were great. They, um, they visited me in rehab. They, they supported me. They believed in me. They, um, you know, they gave me time to, to go to AA meetings and, and to go to rehab. Um, and that's all you can really do. You, you, you can just be there. You know, a family member 
before or after uh, treatment. You're, you're not the you're not the expert. You're not the treatment center. Um, and that's uh, you know beforehand it can you know for everybody it's very frustrating. I'm sure all of your listeners know some somebody whose parents or spouse uh, has done things for ten years to try to get them sober, and it's uh, it's just it's devastating because you can't. Um, you know you just. Uh, you, you just have to yeah you have to turn it over to the experts and then be supportive afterwards. Is there a time when someone should walk away when they're in a relationship that um, is called as is uh, addicted to addictions? You know that's a you know, it's a, it's a, a tough, tough one, question. huh? <laughs> certainly, but I've seen I've seen some you know certainly obviously if there's abuse physical or emotional uh, obviously you got to protect yourself or your children so that, I think that goes without saying if you're if you or your children are in danger physically, emotionally, um, it's not going to get any better, and, and you have to do something. Um, I have seen um, you know, wives and children uh, use that threat uh, to get their spouse into treatment, and that's uh, that's hard to do, but it, it certainly works um, for many for many people. Where you say, "Well, we're leaving unless you go to treatment tomorrow," and. Um, so I think that's appropriate, but you know, if it, most of the time, honestly, that you know, just the the wife threatening that, it, you know, more often than not, that doesn't work, and then you're eventually going to have to leave, or your children or and yourself are going to be in danger from, you know, whether it's physical abuse or driving drunk, or you know, going to come in and see your your husband or wife passed out and with their head cracked open in, in the bathtub. Yeah. How long did it take you to write the book, or how long was this book coming about in your life? You know, uh, the first uh, <laughs> week I was in rehab, I had the idea for this book because everything they were telling me about the disease and the genetic links, I was thinking, "Wow, why didn't someone tell me this?" Um, not that you know, not that it was 100% certainty I wouldn't have gone down the same road, but I, I certainly wish I knew that if I drank, you know, things like if I drank like the rest of my fraternity brothers, I was quite likely to never to be able to stop. Um, so the idea was uh, uh, came about the first week in rehab. A few years later, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that my, my children knew the, knew the message, and, you know, we had a lot of discussion about how to make that happen, and, you know, it occurred to me one day that, well, if I had them help me write, whether it was a journal entry or a short story or, or a story that, that, you know, having someone actually write ideas and be involved in the project really has kids learn, um, you know, learn the subject matter. Then, it, you know, once, once we wrote it and began uh, telling other people, it was clear that everybody in this country knows somebody that has a, a, a family member or a, a close friend that, that has a problem with drugs or alcohol. And then it turned into a, a project that we wanted to take across the country and the world to see how many families that we could help avoid this problem. So it's great that you're coming out and sharing that and having a voice because I think too many things stay hidden. And when we bring them to the surface and we share our stories, we help other people. So what are you doing with the book now? You just hit on it a little bit, but tell me what the project with the book is all about. Yeah, and it's uh, at potatoallergy.com is, is our website. So we are... Uh, One more t- time, potato allergy. Potatoallergy.com. Potato. Uh, and it's, uh, if you look at the uh, cover of the book, there's a little, pati- uh, little peanut and a potato in a boxing ring. And it's, uh, it's a message for kids to make it relatable. So everybody, you know, everybody knows someone with a peanut allergy, but how come nobody talks about the kid with the alcohol allergy, with the uh, potato representing the alcohol allergy? Mm-hmm. So we are uh, we're trying to get the message to uh, adults and kids across the country. We've done some book signings. We've done some media. 
Um, we have a program where we're donating uh, books to uh, uh, schools, and they're making it part of their um, family life, as uh, they call it now. We used to call it, what, sex ed back in the day? So they're family life programs. And we've had some uh, uh, summer camps uh, for um, uh, abused kids or foster kids that um, people have donated books there. So we're trying to get, trying to get as many books in the, you know, the children's hands uh, that, that could benefit from it. And we're, we're going to continue to do book signings and media um, across the country. And uh, the next step is even my daughter and I are planning to do some uh, uh, talks at school. Where I'll talk to the at the middle school, well, I will talk to the parents, and the, uh, my daughter will talk to the to middle schoolers about what they, you know, um, just you know maybe five tips that they can remember going into high school that might help them uh, avoid the disease. Wonderful, that's that's so great. And it also sounds like the book helped you in your recovery program to be able to have an expression of taking something and turning it into something that wasn't working well and turning it into something that's good. Yeah, certainly part of the uh, 12 steps or any recovery program is uh, is giving back and, and keeping the uh, your disorder fresh in your in your mind. So, um, you know, conversations like the one we're having now certainly uh, keep the disease fresh in my mind, even though I've been sober for eight years. And yeah, helping you know many people in the in the AA program say helping others is actually the top thing you can do. So every time we um, you know, get a handwritten letter thanking us or meet someone at a book signing or, or somebody that, you know, sent us an email in, in England the other day. Uh, someone, uh, a mom read the book in England and uh, gave it to her daughter, and it was just the tool she needed to open up that conversation that, that, that keeps us going. Well, we here are here to change the story and change your life. Sounds like you've taken that story and changing other people's lives with that. That's a great deal, a great thing. So tell me, uh, we have a couple more minutes left about some of the life changes that has come about from your taking the steps to change what wasn't working in your life. Well, the um, you know, learning coping skills is a big step as I started drinking very early. So learning to deal with uh, people on a mature level, whether it's your spouse or your, your coworkers. Uh, learning to apologize is a big one. Because true alcoholics and addicts, they just get resentful. They don't apologize. You know, getting closer to uh, serenity and, and peace and happiness is almost impossible for someone in their um, in the throes of addiction. And uh, I'm certainly working on that every day, but getting closer. And then being able to, you, you know, you mentioned it in your opening, uh, being able to be present with uh, friends and loved ones and, and children. Um, Alcoholics are not present. They're either thinking about regrets in the past or thinking about where they're getting the, the, that next drug or drink. And able, you know, being trying to stay present and enjoying the moments has uh, been a, big, a significant change in my life and, and other people in recovery. Well, it sounds like being willing to start over, too. Being willing to say I didn't develop these skills at this certain age. This is helping me a lot in my own personal life because I'm actually in a relationship with someone who's been nine years sober. And it's still asking me all the time to help him work through the uh, emotional parts that, of developing his cognitive brain. And it's been a really sometimes challenge for me because I want to give up. I get upset when a 15-year-old shows up. But then I also forget that I show up as an 8-year-old sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you, <laughs> that the 15-year-old will continue to show up because... Um, you know, first of all, a sober person dealing with the emotional things is, are very, is very hard. But seriously, when, when you're an alcoholic, 
it ha- whether it's happiness, stress, anxiety, depression, death in the family, joy, the, the response to all of that is, is drinking. You know, celebrating a, a new job, you drink. You don't really know how to deal with happiness, whether it's a, uh, a minor fight with your wife about, uh, about something. It's, it, it, there's a lot of catching up to do for those of us that, uh, you know, have masked the coping skills for, you know, usually a decade or two. Well, and I know our show is ending, and we could talk for so much longer about this because uh, I, I know that sometimes I he doesn't know how to be happy, and he doesn't he'll say I don't know how, and I can't understand that. So that's being patient with those around us will help a lot. You Mark, are a saint. Be patient. Thank those, you. Learning to be happy without drugs or alcohol, it can happen, and it does happen, but it takes time. Well, Mark, thank you for so much for getting out there and sharing this with everyone. Um, I would like you to announce one more time where they can find you. I, I'm going to tell them potatoallergy.com, but you go ahead. And the name of your book. Yeah, the book's name is My Dad is an Alcoholic, What About Me? You can find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Or you can go to our webpage at potatoallergy.com and uh, read about the book. You can sign up for, to get a free kid's wristband um, or ask questions of the experts. So potatoallergy.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for what you're doing for the planet out there. I appreciate that and thank you for sharing your time with me today. Well, thanks. Uh, it, it was a pleasure and I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, join me next week as we talk about changing our stories. You change your story, you'll change your life. This is Christy Allen, the Mosaic Shaman. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Christy Ellen hopes that you will join her on another journey next Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Empowerment Channel. 